Uh, you know, the funny thing about family, like we love family. My wife has been gone for, for, for a little over a week, and she's finding she misses her family. Family is amazing because we love our families to death. But if we're going to be honest, our family at the same time drives us crazy, right? Like it's this, it's this paradox where you love them, you need them, but they drive you bonkers. In fact, uh, I saw this Instagram reel, and I know some of you are like, what is a reel? And it, older folks, you know what a reel is? A reel is a video on social media. That's what it is. I saw this Instagram reel, and I thought it was so relevant. And it said, I think I got a picture of it. It said, ladies, if your man isn't your go-to person and your source of happiness, that is so true, while simultaneous being the human version of a migraine headache, are you even married? And all the women said, amen. You know, (laughs) I don't, men, I don't think we could get away with actually saying that. Why can women say that? But men, we'd be in trouble if we said that, right? It's not true. It's not, amen to that. You know, it's so funny though, because uh, when we have those close, intimate relationships, they're, they're amazing and you love it, but you also, you get close to somebody and you begin to see their, their flaws. Uh, it's kind of like the porcupine dilemma. Anybody heard of the porcupine dilemma? Porcupine dilemma is what psychologists use to describe this paradox of human intimacy in the fact that we need each other, we need human intimacy, we need those relationships, but at the same time, we hurt each other. And so the porcupine dilemma pictures a group of porcupines. They're out in the forest, because where else are they going to be? They're out in the forest, and, and it gets cold at night. And so what do the porcupines need to do? They need to huddle together to stay warm. But as soon as those porcupines huddle together, what do they do? Their quills begin to poke at each other and hurt each other. So while they need each other, as soon as they get close, they begin to needle each other with their sharp quills. It's kind of the way our relationships work. Like we need each other, we love each other, we value that. But at the same time, there's times that we can needle each other. You know, church, one of the ways we describe church is church is a family. That is what church is. Church is a family. But have you ever noticed how that porcupine dilemma is a part of the church as well? Like, we need each other. Faith is not a Lone Ranger thing. Like, like, like you are saved by faith alone, but you are saved into the body of Christ. You're saved into the family of God. So we need one another to, to grow in our faith, to, to live out our faith. We, we need it. But at the same time, in the church, we have this weird way of needling one another. We're supposed to love each other, and we do. We serve each other, and we do things, but at the same time, it almost feels unspiritual to admit there's some personalities in the church that just drive us crazy. Some people that just, you know, they have annoyances, and they just needle us. I mean, thinking about a few of these, I remember years ago, not at this church, praise God, uh, there was another church that we went to, and there was a gentleman, and I don't know why he thought Sunday morning at church was a perfect time to clip his fingernails. So you'd be sitting in church, and you'd get a fingernail flying up in the back of your head. And you're like, what is that? And if, you have, if you're a woman with foofy hair, you'd have fingernails for years just coming out of your hair. Like, that's weird. That's a no, like, who does that? I mean, you, you get in church, and you're in a relationship with people, and, and then you start talking about, like, man, there's kickoff day for the NFL, right? I mean, God's team, the Seahawks, are playing today. But then you got those other people that are like, yeah, go cow- cowboys? 
Raiders? Like, like 49ers? Oh, it was horrible. Like, how could you actually be a Christian and like those teams? Again, it's like we need each other, but there's things, there's differences, there's personalities, there's things that are so different than the way we view it. I mean, it gets into serious things. You know, we need each other, we're in relationship. And then you start talking about politics and you're like, what? You don't believe everything the same that I believe? How's that happen? Or, or maybe, again, just annoyances in church. Like your church, you need each other, but then there's that guy who's like, boy, and you're like, where's that from? Who does that, right? <laughs> there's, this, uh, there's this old saying, and I think it fits. It says, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. So we're studying the book of Acts uh, for majority of this year, uh, trying to look at how the early church wasn't just an institution. It wasn't just a place where you came and you put some money in the offering and you heard some mediocre preaching and you went on your life. But the church was a movement that impacted and shaped and changed everything it touched. And that's our desires to say, God, how could we be a movement like that that begins to see God transform everything around us? That's that, man, that's what, that's what my prayer is for our church, is that God help us become a movement. Well, as we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen how Satan was doing everything in his power to oppose the work of the church. And why is that? And let's just be clear, like the church is God's vehicle to change the world. Right? God, God had a mission. God had a mission to make disciples of all nations. And who did God give the mission to? He didn't give it to individuals. He gave it to the church. He said, listen, you're going to be my hands and feet to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Listen, the church is significant. And as this church begins to take off in the book of Acts, Satan is like, I got to do something to stop the mission of God from spreading. So what does he do? He tries to dilute the gospel. I mean, we've talked about this again and again throughout the book of Acts, that there was these people that were saying, hey, listen, listen, you want to be a Christian? Well, you got to believe in Jesus and you got to do these other things, right? So we've dealt with this idea that if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew. You've got to get circumcised. And all the guys left the church. They're like, we're out of here, right? Well, I mean, for us, it's not circumcision. For us, it's like, well, you got to believe in Jesus and you got to get baptized, or you got to believe in Jesus and you got to uh, become a member of the church. You got to clean up your life. You got to be a good person. And this was say, this is Satan trying to dilute the gospel. Oh, it's Jesus and all these other hoops you got to jump through. Well, we saw here two weeks ago that there was this Jerusalem council. The church of Jerusalem gathered all the leaders together, all the people of the church. And they made it very clear, listen, salvation to become a Christian is faith alone by grace alone and Christ alone. Very clear. This is what it is. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about doing these other things. It is faith in Christ alone. And the leaders of the church, they send this letter out to all the other churches proclaiming this. And it was awesome. There was like encouragement to all these churches all the men started coming back to church, and they're like, yes, this is awesome. It's faith in Christ alone, and that's what makes us right with God. And the church is spreading, and it's on fire. Awesome. But Satan, man, he's like, I'm losing now. Right? I just tried to dilute the gospel, and they, they defeated that. And so Satan is going to try a different tactic. Yep, he's going to try something maybe even worse. He's going to cause personal conflict within people from the church. And that's where I would say 
the church, man, I love the church. We're full of porcupines though, right? Like we need each other, we love each other, but man, we just have this ability to, to poke each other at times. And this is where our message today that Jake read for us is gonna teach us that the unity and the mission of God is protected when we learn how to disagree agreeably. That's what we've gotta learn how to do. We've gotta learn how to deal with each other and disagree with each other in an agreeable way. Starts out, verse 36. Uh, Acts 15, 36. It says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Again, things are really good in the church, right? Paul and, ba- Paul and Barnabas, they'd been on this missionary journey. They planted all these churches. They had uh, tons of people place their faith in Jesus by grace alone. It's an exciting time. And Paul's like, hey, let's go back to those churches. It's been five years. Let's go back to those churches and encourage them. And make sure they're still growing. Make sure they're, 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 they're building and, and they're healthy. Like, like, let's go do this. And so, verse 37, Barnabas, he wanted to take, them, take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it was best not to take one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. If you're one of those people that likes to write in your Bible, you might write Acts 13.13 13 right next to that. Because again, Acts 13.13, 13, Paul and Barnabas, they've been on this missionary journey, their very first one. And John Mark was with them. This guy was like a, like a servant on the team with them. And they're out preaching the gospel. And for some reason, we don't know, John Mark left. He's like, hey, I don't know. Maybe this is too hard. Maybe, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm a little scared. There's, there's opposition. Like, I can't do this. And John Mark took off and went back home. And so it's been five years. And Barnabas, he, he, he's described as a son of encouragement. He's an encourager. And Barnabas, because he loves people, he's like, man, it's been five years, and, you know, that John Mark, he's my cousin, and, like, I've seen some maturity in him. I think he's grown. He's like, we need to bring John Mark with us again. And Barnabas, or excuse me, Paul is like, nope, nope. Paul is like, hey, we are going to face opposition. We, I almost died on that first missionary journey. Remember they stoned me and left me for dead? And Paul's like, I depend on this team. I depend on these people that got my back to, to help take care of us so we can be united and strong together. He said, I got to depend on the people on my team. And, and John Mark, man, he deserted us last time. I don't want John Mark coming. I don't, I don't have the confidence that he's going to stay with us through whatever we face. You kind of get this picture that for Paul, whatever reason John Mark left, that there was this deep wound. Man, I needed you and you weren't there for me, and now there's this deep wound, and just, John Mark, I cannot trust you. And so you've got this disagreement. Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring John Mark. Paul's like, I don't think that's a good idea. In verse 39, it says, there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, this is where I'm gonna geek out for a little bit. The Greek word for disagreement here is called paroxysm. Paroxysm. And this is beyond just a little disagreement. This is like an angry dispute. This is like this ongoing contention. This is like such a big thing. This is just before they're going to start throwing punches. Like this is an angry, this is bad. Paul and Barnabas are both stubborn. They're both digging their heels in. And this paroxysm is getting very personal and very bitter between Paul and Barnabas. Now, I'll just say this. One of the things I love to, to pause and say one of the reasons I love the Bible and why I can trust the Bible to be true is because of stories just like this. 
Like Paul and Barnabas, these guys are like heroes of the faith. They belong in Christianity Hall of Fame. Like Paul's the greatest missionary who ever lived. Barnabas is, is amazing. I love those guys. Yet this story is not their best story. This story, they're stubborn. They're prideful. They, and if I'm like, if I'm trying to write a story to get you to believe some made up, like I'm not gonna include the story of Paul and Barnabas having a fight. Like that doesn't put the story. You know, it doesn't make the story sound that much better to believe. But this is where I, I love Scripture because it is real. It doesn't hide the hard things. But like here, you've got real people. These aren't, these aren't fake people. These aren't the people that show up on Sunday morning and their life's falling apart, but they put a smile on their face. Oh, God's good. I'm blessed. Now, these are real people. They're not perfect. They're imperfect people following a perfect God and I love to read this in Scripture because it just gives me a confidence to know, hey, I'm not one of those perfect people. I can see myself like Paul. I'm stubborn at times. Anyone else in here stubborn? Anybody want to ask your spouse if you're stubborn? Let's answer that question right now. Paul and Barnabas, though, they're in this fight. And the question is, who do you think is right? Who do you, how many do you think Paul's right? How many do you think Barnabas is right? It kind of depends. Like Barnabas, if you're a people person, you probably side with Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas, you're giving some, yeah, you're a people person. I, I totally get Barnabas. If you're a task-oriented person, man, you're probably like, yeah, I'm with Paul, man. Here's the thing, though. The Bible never really clarifies who was right and who was wrong. The Bible doesn't answer that for us. See, here's where I want to clarify something. Paul and Barnabas, this argument, what they're fighting about is not a sin issue. Like, like, like we read scripture, and obviously when scripture speaks clearly on a subject, like we're expected to obey it, right? Them deciding whether or not to take John Mark, this is not a, a scriptural issue. This isn't an obedience or disobedience thing. This is a personal preference. This is an issue of wisdom. It's a matter of personal preference and wisdom. It's not a sin issue. I mean, you can do either one of these, right? It doesn't really matter which one you do. It's not a sin issue. This is just a, a personal disagreement. This is Paul and Barnabas being porcupines and poking at one another. Now, I know some of us in here are like, all right, hey, what's the big deal? Uh, yeah, they got in a fight over John Mark. What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. If you remember uh, when we studied the, I uh, 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 can't think of the word, uh, the, the final discourse, Jesus' final discourse in, in John 13 through 17. Jesus prayed on the night he was betrayed. He prayed for us. And you know what he prayed? He said, they will know you are Christians by what? They'll know you're Christians by giving people a second chance. No, he didn't say that. Oh, he said, they'll know you're Christians by being devoted to the mission of God above all else. No, he didn't say that either. No, he said, they will know you are Christians by how you love one another. That's how they know your faith. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, it says, if you don't love your brother whom you've seen, then you cannot love God who you have not seen. Even further, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, John 17. He prayed for us, the church, that we would be perfected, perfected in unity so that the world would know that God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to die on the cross. See, our love for one another and how we interact with one another, man, it's got huge implications for us 
being faithful to the mission that God has given us. Because Jesus just said, you want to prove you're a Christian? It's how you interact with one another. It's how you love one another. It's how you serve one another. And I'm looking at Paul and Barnabas, and I'm like, do you see a lot of love between them when they have this paroxysm, this angry dispute? Like, I, I wish I could, be, I mean, I wish I could see a little reel of what happened in this angry dispute. There's probably name calling. There's probably assuming the worst about one another. I mean, this was an issue. This was a big deal. And see, what happens in the church is we sometimes end up arguing just like Paul and Barnabas. We have these paroxysms over secondary issues. I mean, there's, vi- there, there's vital issues. There's, there's foundational issues that we need to be in agreement on. We call these core beliefs. We call these close-handed issues, right? Like, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, like there's no room for disagreement on that. We have to believe uh, that the, the Bible is the Word of God. We have to believe that you're saved by grace and faith alone. Like, like these things are, are, are clear. We have to be in agreement on But then we have all these secondary issues. Things like, do we bring John Mark on a missionary journey? Things like, what kind of music do we play in church? Things like, which Bible translations do we read? Things like, which color should make the carpet in the auditorium at the church? Things like, should we homeschool or public school or private school or something different? Politics. Well, I vote for this guy and I vote for this guy. These are secondary issues, open-handed issues. It means it's good to have an opinion on it, have a conviction on it, but the problem is when we take that opinion and we take that preference and that conviction and make that an ultimate thing to say, oh, you're a Christian, you gotta believe just like me. And what happens in the church is we take those secondary issues and we make them hills that we die on. Oh, I'm fighting for this. Oh, you better believe I'm gonna quill at you. You better believe I'm gonna create a paroxysm because I think the color of the carpet looks stupid and it needs to be what I think is right. And our pride gets involved. We think we're right and everybody else is an idiot. We dig our heels in. And pretty soon, our disagreement over secondary issues becomes a sharp disagreement, and then it becomes a paroxysm. You know what it does? It distracts us from our purpose of making disciples of all nations and becoming a movement that impacts everything around us. Why? Because we're arguing over secondary tertiary issues, things that don't have an eternal significance. They've just distracted us. I think, about, I think about the season that we've been in since COVID. Like there's been a lot of division in our world, in churches. And, and, and it's terrible because it seems like what's happened is when we can't agree with one another nowadays, what do we do? It's cancel culture. Oh, ho, ho, ho. you like beige carpet? You're canceled. I'm unfriending you. We're not friends anymore. What do you mean? You voted for some other guy? That's it. I can't talk to you anymore. What do you mean? You, you, you homeschool your kids. You public school your kids. And these become hills that we die on and we cancel culture. We cancel one another over these secondary issues. It's good to, again, have your conviction. Please have your conviction. But is it worth us fighting about? Because you know what happens? In the church, we have this paroxysm. We begin to argue. We fight. And you know what happens is there are people coming from the world who are looking for hope. 
They're looking for peace. They're looking for answers. And they come into the church thinking, man, maybe God has the answer. And what do they see? They see us fighting over the color of the carpet. They see us fighting over masks or no masks. They see us fighting over stinking things like this. And you know what they conclude? Man, the church, they don't have the answer. They're just like me. They're just like the world. And as we have these paroxysm over secondary issues, guess what? We are turning people away from the God who provides hope and peace and salvation. Because we're arguing about whether John Mark should go on a missionary journey or not. And I just picture Satan back, Satan. I picture him sitting back with his cappuccino, smiling and chuckling. Oh, that mission of God. Man, God will turn you into a movement, but rather... Satan's like, I got them distracted. They're fighting over all sorts of things. Preventing them from doing the thing that they're supposed to do, which is make disciples of all nations, which is love one another. Verse 39, it says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Like, I don't know about you, but I read that, and I just feel somber when I read that. Paul and Barnabas, they had like 10 or 15 years of ministry partnership together. Like they had done some amazing things. God had done miracles through their ministry together. They were partners. They, they planted churches together. It was amazing. And now they have this paroxysm, this argument over John Mark, and now they departed company. Let me clarify. It's not, it's not wrong to, be separ- to, to separate. It's not wrong to do that. Sometimes separating is the healthiest thing for us to do. Sometimes when we have something that's really important to us and we can't agree on it, it's best for us to say, hey, we're gonna go our separate ways. In fact, I, I remember how to make this decision years ago. There was a pastor friend of mine and a guy I loved, a guy who mentored me, who loved my family, uh, helped shape me in ministry. And uh, as God was doing some work in my heart, man, like my heart for people was changing from his heart. And there was just this, 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 this it wasn't an argument, it was just a disagreement on philosophy of ministry. And we're talking through it, and I'm like, man, I just, you know, we're not on the same page. And I had to make the decision, you know what? I love this man, and I don't want to be a hindrance to him. And I had to make the decision, it's better for us to separate. It's better for us to go someplace where, where God can continue to lead me to use my giftings and the, my heart the way that, that God had wanted us to. And you know, I think about, like, that decision years ago. Man, Restoration Church exists because of that. And so now there are two churches. Like, how good is that? It's not wrong for us to separate. But for Paul and, Barnab- Paul and Barnabas, it was wrong in the way in which they separated. They're not walking away with respect for one another. They're not walking away praying for one another, believing the best in one another. They're walking away frustrated and bitter and angry on the heels of this angry dispute. I mean, let's just be honest. Oftentimes when there's this paroxysm, this argument, this, this, this fight, and oftentimes it doesn't end well. Like if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, how many times have you seen churches blow up because they're fighting over dumb things? Right? Over differences. I mean, how many times have you seen this? And you know what happens when we're fighting over these dumb issues? Again, I am so convicted of somebody coming to church looking for hope and peace and not finding, instead of finding us arguing about these things, and they're turned away from God. But the good news is, that's not always the case. 
God is still sovereign. God is still in control of all things. And again, if you're one of those people who likes to write in your Bible, you might write next to this set text, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And for Paul and Barnabas, all things working together for good includes their stubbornness and their pride. Because God's still at work. It says in our text, verse 39, it says they separated from each other. And Barnabas, he took Mark, and they sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, and they departed. And having been commended by the brothers in the grace of the Lord, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Again, like, here's what happened. Like, before this disagreement, there were two men. There was one team. They were going to one location. Now, after this disagreement, we've got four men on two teams going to two locations. God used this disagreement, turned it around and used it for good. Now, listen, let me clarify this. This doesn't justify their pride, their anger, their bitterness. It doesn't. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't make it right the way they handled things. But it does illustrate this principle, that God is even able to take our failures and our mistakes and turn them into something good. In fact, how many of us can look at our life and think, yeah, I remember when I screwed up big time and I'm like, oh man. And how God has taken that thing in your life and turned it around for something good. That struggle you had and God brought you through that and made you stronger on the other end. God is showing up for Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, they head north. Barnabas and John Mark, they go west and eventually down to the south. And what often happens when we have these disagreements, there leaves this bitterness between the people that were involved, right? We become become calloused. There's usually a lack of forgiveness, not trusting. But fortunately, that's not the way this story ends. Again, uh, we get a little good ending to the story. At some point, we don't know when, at some point it seems like Paul and Barnabas, they came to their senses and had some reconciliation. Because about 10 years later after this fight, about 10 years later, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he writes and he mentions Barnabas. He says, Barnabas is my fellow apostle and worker in ministry. Somewhere along the way, there was this reconciliation so that 10 years later, Paul could say, Barnabas, he is my friend, my fellow apostle, my partner, my co-worker. At some point, I think they came to their senses and were like, dude, I was an idiot. I'm sorry for being so stubborn and prideful and wrong and saying all those mean, hurtful things about you. I assume Barnabas was like, yep, you're an idiot, but I forgive you anyways. I'm sorry for the things I said as well. What about John Mark? Well, again, almost 20 years after this fight, Paul is in prison. His last time, he's gonna be facing death. And Paul's writing a letter to his uh, young apprentice, Timothy. And he's writing, and he's grieving over people who have left him in his ministry. He's like, man, remember when I had Demos and and Crescens and Titus? They were with me. They're no longer with me. But Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter four, he says, go and get John Mark for me and bring him to me because he is helpful to me in my ministry. See, Paul in his last days, he's like, hey, John Mark, yeah, I need him. I want him here with me. Somewhere along the way, again, there's reconciliation. There's peace that was made. 
despite the paroxysm, they found reconciliation. God was honored. The unity of the church was, was preserved, and the mission was able to move forward because they didn't let that paroxysm continue to make them bitter and angry. Again, I want to just clarify, like the church, we said this in the beginning, the church is a vehicle that God has chosen for us to change the world, for us to become a movement that changes everything around us, to, 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 to give peace and hope to the world around us. We're called to be a movement that impacts everything around us. And if we're going to become that movement, this message is imploring us. We have to learn to disagree agreeably in order to preserve the unity and the mission of the church that God has given us. If we're going to be all that God has called us to be, we've got to learn how to live with porcupines, how to disagree in an agreeable way and not destroy relationships and not destroy one another. Because the mission of God and our testimony is at stake. So, uh, close, I've got a couple of uh, simple things, a couple of application points to help us learn how to disagree, disagree, agree. you do know how many times I had to say that this week to say it right? Disagree agreeably. A couple things. Number one, hey, these are things that are beneficial in the church, in your family, in your workplace, in your relationships. Like, these are things to put into practice. Number one, we've got to make prayer a habit. Again, we're having disagreements with people We've got to be people who are praying. Prayer is us depending on the Lord and not on ourselves. Again, most of us, we like depending on ourselves, right? Most of us are like, I see the world right. If everybody would do things the way I do it, man, everybody would be happy. Really, is that the case? No, prayer is when we acknowledge, hey, we need God's help. And so we're praying, we're praying like, God, would you give us guidance in this disagreement? God, help the other person figure out what they need to figure out. And more importantly, God, we need to be people who pray for ourselves, right? Because when we disagree, we often are so quick to revert back to our flesh, right? Oh, you disagree with me? I'm going to assume the worst about you. I'm going to take it personal. I'm going to throw names at you. I'm going to, I mean, let's just be honest. How many times have we had a disagreement or a problem with somebody else? And we just make it worse because we get mad about it. We get angry about it. We get offended about it. We take it personal. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us can be in that spot and be like, yeah, I've made situations 10 times worse because I was prideful, I was angry, I took it personal. That's where we need to pray. God, help me have humility. God, help me to see where I need to, help me to be who you've called me to be, to love in this way. In fact, a friend of mine uh, we, uh, his idea was that we would spend like a year going through the book of first, or the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 together. That's the love chapter. Like we've spent nine months reading this chapter again and again and again and again, and it's been so challenging to me. Because I come back to this. I think about the disagreements I have with my wife. I think about disagreements I have at work. I only got one coworker, so you might guess who sometimes there's disagreements with. They're usually me and not him, but you know, however that works. Man, this is, what, this is what 
Scripture says love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. does not keep a record of wrongs. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endure, endures all things. Do you know how convicting it is when I'm in a disagreement to think about that? I'm supposed to love. And love doesn't boast. It's not prideful. It's not arrogant. It's not self-seeking. Man, if we would be people that would continually just pray, God, help me to be these things, do you think it would change the way that we disagree with one another? Would put us in a spot of humility instead of pride and arrogance? Man, if we're gonna disagree agreeably, we've got to be people who pray. Pray for others and specifically pray for ourselves. Number two, (laughs) we need to pick our battles. Pick our battles carefully. Man, we disagree and argue over some of the dumbest things. In fact, I, I think I've, I, I told this story before. There was a church uh, years ago in, in, in Dallas area that split. Uh, you know, there was an argument in the church, and it got so testy that, you know, the church had to split. There's two different groups. And those two groups ha- were fighting in the court system for who was going to keep the church property, right? And you're like, man, <laughs> you're doing a great job preaching the gospel, going into court, arguing over who's right. Well, Uh, one of the newspapers was like, hey, we're gonna send an investigative reporter to figure out what went wrong in this church, what they're fighting about. You know the investigative reporter found? You know why this church was splitting and fighting in the courts over who's gonna keep the property? Because one of the leaders of the church, there was a potluck. One of the leaders of the church was mad because some little girl next to him got a bigger piece of pie than him. They fought over a piece of pie. Honestly, how many of the issues that, we're, that we fight over, like how important are they? How significant are they? Can I just say this? Like the only reason that, I know some of you are like, man, I win every argument. Listen, the only reason we have to win every argument is because we're prideful. Can I just be bold and say that? The only reason you have to win every argument is because of your stinking pride. I'm saying that to myself, not to you. The only reason I have to win every argument is because I have so much stick in pride. You know what the Apostle Paul said in 1 six, six, uh, Corinthians 6? He says, when you're having legal disputes with one another, you've already lost. He said, why not rather be wronged? Listen, how significant is the issue? Let your pride go. You, it'd, be, it'd be better for you to be wrong than have to go fight over these dumb issues. You don't have to win every battle. You don't have to be right on every, you can let someone else, even if they're, who cares? Number three, if we're gonna learn to disagree agreeably, we have to learn to do more listening than talking. James 1.19, half-brother of Jesus, he said this. He said, everyone should be Quick to speak? No, no, no. He said everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because you know what happens? When we're in that disagreement, we're not listening anymore. We're not listening to what the other person is saying. I mean, when they're talking, and what are we doing? We're preparing our response. Oh, I got to, I know, oh, can you stop talking? Because I got to give this to you. I I got a good one for you. I got a zinger. We don't listen. We're trying to defend ourselves. In fact, there's wisdom from a guy named Stephen Covey. 
wrote a book called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, one of those habits is, is being a people who learn to, or seek to understand rather than be understood. Man, how, how great would it be if we're in this disagreement and rather than trying to defend our position and rather than trying to convince them, what if we just try to listen and understand why they believe the way that they do? What if instead of defending ourselves, what if it was, hey, you think the carpet should be beige? Tell me why you think it should be beige. Let's have a conversation about it. Let me hear, let me ask some questions. Is beige uh, important to you? Is it like, I don't, I don't know, babe, I, why am I even talking about carpet? I don't know why I'm talking about carpet. It just went there. Man, there would be so much greater unity if you actually learned to listen to one another instead of trying to talk over and convince them of our opinion. Man, we've got to learn to do more listening rather than talking, to seek to understand rather than be understood. Number four, we've got to step back when things get personal. Again, the Apostle Paul gives us some wisdom. He says, be angry and sin not. Now, let's just be honest. When things get personal, <laughs> it's like all reason goes out the door. It's kind of like we're a kid in a candy store and like we have no self-control. Takes personal, man, I'm going to start throwing insults. I'm going to you know, I'm gonna exaggerate the truth to convince people on my side. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna gather people. I'm gonna try and convince them to join me so it's a bunch of us against you, right? Man, when things get personal, we have to be willing to step back. How do you know when it gets personal? Well, here's when it gets personal. It gets personal when the issue starts controlling your life. When that thing, whatever you're disagreeing on, when it wakes you up in the middle of the night, when it's the only thing you want to talk about, it's the only thing you want to argue about, it's the only thing that you think about when you're wanting to get people to join your team to get us against them, like that's when it's becoming a controlling issue in your life. It's become personal. You need to step back. Warning sign that it's becoming personal is when you begin to attack the person rather than the problem. See, when we're attacking the problem, that means that we are studying the issue. We're trying to listen to both sides. We're trying to uh, find the good and bad arguments and, and trying to understand. But when we begin to attack the person, <laughs> that's when we begin to lose our temper. And we question the other person's motives. We assume the worst in them. We assume the worst in their intentions. Yeah, when things get personal, so for Paul and Barnabas, I wish they would have said, man, things are gonna, we need to step back a little bit. Rather than allow this to become a paroxysm that becomes this argument, this, 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 this negative thing, I wish they would have stepped back and said, hey, you know what? It's getting personal. We need to stop for a minute. We need to breathe. We need to think. We need to calm down. And we come back rationally. Last thing, number five. To disagree agreeably, we've got to prioritize the unity and the mission of God above everything else. Again, this is where we can have our conviction. You can love hymns, or you can love worship music. You can love whatever Bible translation you love. You can love uh, the color of the carpet. Do you love those things more than you love obedience to God? Do you love those things more than God changing lives and changing the world around us? Because to be honest, like we step into church and we start fighting over these things and it's kind of like we love those things more than what God can do in us and through us. 
No, we're going to prioritize the unity and the mission of the church. It's going to lead us to a couple places. It's going to lead us to, to turn to uh, the movie Frozen, right? Every little girl in elementary school from 2013 to 2016, they sang this song. It's a song we need to remember. Let it go, let it go. If we're going to prioritize the unity of the church, I mean, sometimes there's some of these things that just aren't big enough to fight about. We need to be willing to let it go. Let it go. Philippians 2 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. In humility. Man, I'm going to put other people's interests above my own, which means there's times when I'm like, I disagree with you. But this is not that big of a deal. I'm going to let it go, let it go. Don't hold on to it anymore. Uh, that's terrible. I'm sorry for that. Gosh. <laughs> and guess what? If it's one of those issues that you can't let it go, it's too important to you, it's okay to go your separate ways. Again, to prioritize the unity of the mission of the church, it's okay to say, you know what, we don't agree, and I just, we need to have some separation here. I need to go in a different direction. It's better to keep the love with the other person, to keep uh, uh, the trust that God is working in them and through them. It's better to keep that unity and keep that mission to focus by saying, you go this direction, and I'm going this. I mean, this, this is Paul and Barnabas. God had to, God redeemed a broken situation. Man, I think it would have been much beautiful, much better if they were like, hey, we're gonna agree to separate and it's gonna be better for everybody. Man, I'll say I love you porcupines. I love you porcupines. I love this church. I will say that uh, there are some of you, <laughs> you are porcupines and you know how to ruffle my feathers. And I love it. I love it. Because I'll be honest, I think I'm glad everybody doesn't look just like me. I'm glad we're in a church that has diversity. That we can say, man, God works in all different types of people. Black and white and brown and rich and poor and all those other things that make us different. Man, I love the fact that God, his kingdom is bigger than we can imagine. And I love the fact that we can have these discussions and say, man, I, dis I, I don't see the same as you. This is where, can we be a people who say, I love you enough, I love the mission of God enough that I will disagree agreeably so we can walk together in unity and love to accomplish what God is trying to accomplish. That we wouldn't allow these paroxysms to be the thing that distract us from the mission of God, but we'd be a people, despite our differences, to say, man, I love you enough, and I love the mission of God enough, and I love what God wants to do enough, that I'm willing to sometimes set those things aside so we can walk together and pursue the mission that God has for us. Because I'll tell you what, I'm passionate about us becoming a movement. I'm passionate about it. And if we're going to do that, we have to be a people who agree to disagree agreeably. I just said that three times in a row. That's awesome. We've got to be a people who learn to disagree agreeably. And if we can do that, man, I'm excited to think about what God can do in us and through us. <laughs>